0: Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Audio Blog, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Two weeks ago, we met Olive Norton, the homeschool mother who taught her daughter at home all the way through the secondary level. Then we learned that after graduating her daughter, Mrs. Norton became the headmistress of a small PNEU school. On a fateful January day in the early 1970s, Two girls visited that school. Their names were Margaret and Christine. Their mother recalled that it was a small PNEU school, run in a classroom built under the back of someone's private home, looking into an English country garden. The mother then described what happened when the girls got home. After their first day, Christine came home glowing with life and interest. We had the most exciting story today, but Mrs. Norton stopped at just the wrong place. I can't wait to hear the next part of the story. And what was this exciting, vitalizing story? To my astonishment, it was Pilgrim's Progress, read to them in the original. Christine's mother was intrigued and spoke with the headmistress. Years later, she would write, Thank you, Olive Norton, for introducing us to Charlotte Mason in the first place. Christine's family was deeply involved in Labrie and wanted to introduce Charlotte Mason to the wider community. What better way than to invite Mrs. Norton to speak? And so she did. And the lecture was recorded. The name of Christine's mother is Susan Schaefer McCulley. Macaulay went on to write For the Children's Sake, the book that introduced countless parents and teachers around the world to Charlotte Mason. Now you can hear the voice of the woman that introduced Charlotte Mason to her. The cassette recording of Mrs. Norton's lecture has endured somewhere in the past 46 years, so we have carefully and lovingly digitized and enhanced it for you. Nevertheless, There remains some distortion, making it hard to understand at times. The first few minutes are the most difficult, but keep listening. Soon you'll grow accustomed to the sound of this voice from the past. You'll find yourself in that classroom built under the back of someone's private home, looking into an English country garden. You'll find yourself, like Susan Schaefer Macaulay, wanting to tell the world about this life-giving approach To education.
1: How do you do, everybody? Please now introduce myself to you all. I'm Olive Norton, and I have a PME school in Sussex, England. As well as being a headmistress of this school, I'm also the wife and mother of a very happy family, and I have two grown up children, John and Sarah. During the first 14 years of our married life, my husband was serving in the Royal Navy. And so it was that we felt very strongly about the unity of a family life. So we, and followed, wherever he was sent, we went as well. And so it was extremely fortunate that it was at this very time when my daughter was at the age to beginning school that I first met. Parents' National Education Union School, and all that it offered, and also the philosophy of Charles Mason. This home school service offered us a wonderful continuity during those years. The children never had any change in their curriculum, or in their examination process, or in the book, and everything came to us from headquarters in London, where they kept a very helpful eye on the children's progress, because by this time, my son was also joining in, in home school education. When my husband left the Royal Navy in later years, and my daughter by this time had completed her education, I was very delighted to be invited to start a PNU school here in the country in such past years. I'd had ample opportunity to read and reread the books written by Miss Charlotte Mason, on her philosophy, on her attitude to education generally, and I had come to the conclusion that I was her natural disciple. As a qualified teacher, I felt completely at one with her thoughts and felt that I should go ahead and try and put into practice what I had assimilated and was longing to do. very really grateful, therefore, for this marvelous opportunity to talk to you thank and share with you my twenty-six year's association with the PNU. To thank Mr. and Mrs. McCauley here and now for their great effort in, in coming forward and finding PNU schools through... Their determination to send their children to a Charlotte Mason school, with her philosophy being carried out. Charlotte Mason believes that children are born persons. They are naturally avid for knowledge. From the time they can speak, they ask questions, and these must be answered. They want to know. And so from an early age, the best books and the best opportunities set by their hunger for knowledge must be given. Once you stimulate the natural urge, this in troubles and boredom seldom arises. This is the moment I think to tell you our motto. The words are I am, I can, I ought, I will, and the bird, which is uh, the crest, is a lark which, as we explained to them, flies the house and sings the sweetest is to see that the child can carry out that motto, I am, I can. Then you, the teacher, must really believe in that child. I will give you a small example that happens here in school nearly every day. A child will leave its desk can come up to me and say, I'm stuck, I can't do that. And I will give it a short lesson and explain and the child will return quite happily to its desk and settle down and deal with it. On the other hand, another child will come up and say, equally the same, I can't get on. I say, no, I'm not going to help you. You go back to your desk and try yourself. Rather reluctantly, the child returns. I keep an eye in that direction while I'm carrying on with other things. And then, I notice, and it happens always. The child achieves it. Its face looks towards me and smiles, and says "As I I've done it. I've done it. I did it all alone, and this is the beginning of leading this child to confidence and to know those words have a meaning. I can. It is a shame to waste the opportunities given to one. And so I think a strong urge I ought to do it. It brings us next to I will. The I will for me is interpreted as I will see to it that I do my utmost for their child and for the parents, that I can honestly say and know that I have helped the child and the family, both morally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and given them a love and a desire to work for the rest of their life. And so it brings me to these happy days when I can speak to the child of their future to come, their senior school, possible university days, perhaps they'll be fine explorers, do wonderful things, help other people, and all the great choice that lies before them, all through this love and this will to work. I like to tell you something about the staff here. I, as we are a very small school, I only have four other teachers helping me, but each one has been trained to understand the philosophy of Charlotte Mason in the, their approaches to these children. And it has been very rewarding when I see the progress the day the teachers, have made as I have trained them. For example, when you get a child who, on her first day in school or her first term in school, is whiny, truculent, non-cooperative, mopey, you don't quite know yet why, but it is your duty to, however irritating that child may be to, to haul that child in, to read in to the soul, and not to say to yourself, oh, follow that child, oh, don't get on my nerves, today. oh, I wish that child wasn't in in this class. No. Do exactly the opposite of what you may feel in on the first account. And this is what I have gone on saying and saying, uh, please make a super effort to deal with the less attractive, the more problematic, the more difficult child, and the sooner you make them feel wanted and for love coming to them, and your understanding, or love through understanding, you will find that child will begin to be less um, difficult wrong. In fact, will very soon have become a delight. And it's been my happy—I think one of my happiest moments this very term when my staff had said to me, independently, oh, we've got such a happy lot upstairs in the uh, five to six year old form, um, everything is going very smoothly, everybody's in tremendous good um, humour and so on. And I said, really, honestly, it's do about to tell yourself. This is the first time that you've said this because you've walked through this situation yourself. Uh, there's not a single one that yes, you have um, left us. I have often been asked by parents, uh, being interviewed for the first time, can I put my finger on the secret of the atmosphere of this school uh, that they've heard so much about? And I've come to the conclusion that the right answer is self-respect. From the moment we meet in the morning, I... Try to create an atmosphere where we are all holding each other in the highest respect and also ourselves. Our general appearance, for example, the children are seldom corrected over tidy hair or dirty hands. They're books, I tell them I don't want to have to correct a dirty book. Uh, it's a very unpleasant experience to pick up a book for correction and um, feel, "Mm, I'd rather mm, put it on one side so that they keep their exercise books nicely. The textbooks, they've got again to be shared by a lot of other students year after year, and many of them uh, have to be used every year, so they don't scribble in them. They realize that they are much nicer themselves like that, and so on. And I think that um, it also generates in way of how we all uh, we teachers uh, appear to them. I for example, um, I like to wear fairly bright clothes I like to change um, my sort of my my dress uh, so they don't see the same dress week in week out. I make an effort to. Oh, Mrs. Zewan was in the theatre. got to stand and look at it. It's very boring for children always to be the same thing. And I think they liked it, this um, thing of uh, everybody is making an effort to be as pleasant uh, to each other as possible. This affects their language too. If I find a child, if I ever hear a child speaking perhaps um, unnecessarily, uh, abusively to someone else, and I said, Well, I don't know. Um, I think it's rather a shame because you are saving that child trying to manage it They do. They are by no means a print and profit school, believe you me. We are very fresh. Um, have a lot of fun. Uh, we are boys and girls up to the age of thirteen, from the age of five. And uh, yet there's a sort of espri, a kind of spirit now amongst them all, which is passed on from one lot to another, new ones coming in very soon. Capture this. For example, also, I think when you enter the school in the morning, say for instance the night before your mother in law has been taken terribly ill or your child has been rushed off to hospital or you've had a bereavement in the family um, or you yourself don't feel particularly well, I think it is absolutely vital not to carry it into the schoolroom. When I come into the schoolroom in the morning, into the class I'm going to teach, uh, the children Uh, are there and they uh, turn to look to me and I say, Good morning, children. And I get a, Good morning, Mrs. Norton. Oh dear, what's the matter? Let's have good morning. It's good morning, Mrs. Norton. And I'm delighted. And it makes us all uh, put a smile on our faces and start. And from these very young voices, of course, it's charming. It's almost like a charm. And so we settle down into, uh, with a nice feeling of, um, hmm, here we go now. And now, what have we got on our tape for today? And as much variation as possible on a theme. We don't want to feel that God of oh, well, I know, first thing this morning to do this, and then it'll be that, and oh, I dread Mondays and so on. No, thank you. We have none of that. Every lesson, it seems to be, as far as I can see and know, that all these... Little faces staring at me as they're all in vertical lines in my classes. All the desks are in lines and I've got an eye on every face. And it's lovely to see that from one reason to the next there's never, oh no, but oh yes, yes, oh good, now we're going to do that. And oh, also, yeah. oh good. And then um, we have lessons again when we, I say, we close the of books now and we are going to do something else. Oh no, can't we go on? Oh, can't we just finish? which is a whole... Point that everything they're doing, that they should be enjoying it, doing it thoroughly, thoroughly involved in it, not distracted, and so on. And that's why you can see it's a delight, and you feel that you've got your finger on the pulse of the hair school, and the hair school is on the same pulse together, one large happy family working extremely hard and saying hard. And doing, um I think we get a lot more in this way, because we don't waste enough time um, dragging our feet and um, having to repair miserable children or wasting our efforts uh, in that way so much. Mis- mis- misdemeanors with you, in a way, I should sort have of told you earlier the meaning of the letters p n e u. Uh, they mean parents. National Education Union. And so I think I'll talk now about uh, the parents' role in this. The um, get-together of parents, teachers, uh, and uh, children uh, is for us quite um, a normal thing, quite a perfectly ordinary family affair, as a child, of course, spends a great deal of its life in the teachers' company. Children come to school here, they start at nine, and they finish at half past four in the afternoon. They have quite a large slice of the week spent um, away from the home. Therefore, when they go home, it's then um, they pour out all their um, stories and their activities, and exchange all these uh, nice things they've been doing, or their worries. Uh, I think that it's a wonderful... Um, System or thought of Miss Mason that the parents should be um, quite at ease, and I must say, I repeat it very much in my interviews with parents, not to have any qualms about ringing me up or writing to me, um, but ringing me up at any time of the day or evening, that I'm rather like a doctor. I'm never off duty. In this way, we can avoid um, little little trouble, children's minds, uh, they seem to... some small thing will worry them, whereas it's quite easy just say they're taking notice of that, darling, or oh, don't think about that anymore if that's worrying you, but they want to talk it over and clear the air, and then mummies begin to worry, and it's much better to straight away the same evening, or within a matter of few days, uh, talk it over with the teacher, and um, then altogether we can move the past and get over that little problem. Uh, This is just one of the things. Another sad thing, I think, is that um, today we come up under such pressure. So much more has been put on education, and nothing, of course, can be taken away from the ground floor of education. And parents are aware that to get into senior schools, from junior schools to get into universities and so on, these children have got to achieve much more than they were, let's say, 10, 20 years ago. And some parents tend to get terribly panicky and start putting that pressure on children through what they would say was love. Darling, have you done that? Don't you think you ought to go and do that again? Don't you think you ought to go and study that? Should not go and say so, something? They carry on like this. Which is, of course, to my mind, undoing the work of a school like this. we work in calmness, and we have no homework, but never. The child leaves us for free. It will go home and do an extension of the things that you enjoyed doing at school, and probably bring them back to Shirley. But um, they're free then. And it's a terrible, sad thing when you get, uh, in some cases, parents who then start uh, at home to say, oh, if your writing wasn't very good in school today, don't you think you ought to go and do a little more? Practice it down and on home it exhausts the child and it's pulling the child in two directions. And clearly you undermine the good that's being done. Uh, it's interesting, I think, the uh, little ways that we are able to help odd, It's very really like having a confederate, a friend. The teacher should be the friend of the child and friend of the parent the parent. That they uh, can communicate. Communication is absolutely everything to my mind. And, for example, you get amusing little things that are so easy to put right. Um, a mother riding back from Singapore to this climate uh, in the autumn time, child coming here age five, said, I'm uh, having such terrible time trying to get John, um, uh, get him uh, to have good night's sleep. She thinks to wake every morning to about three o'clock in the morning, I'm afraid he must be so, such a drag at school, he is getting so tired, I really don't know what to do about it. But did I, have you tried putting on another blanket? Oh no, I hadn't thought about that, so Winston I did, and that the end of the matter. Little things that sometimes an outsider can see, may not, not always be the teacher, but somebody who is spending time with those children, that, as, as that person can become, uh, your friend. Uh, another, um a very vital thing is to have a preconceived idea about what will be like. You, again, will hear, oh, uh, well now, if the child comes to um, the school, uh, next term, age five, I think I ought to tell you that my husband and I were never very good at math. Uh, just not one of our teams. And I said, oh, I'm paid, Mrs. Mrs. Roggins, uh, whatever you want to call her, uh, well, Mrs. Robbins has said, I, I, don't accept that your child is coming, um, absolutely fresh, uh, in the sense that it's like, um, a, a new, a, a bud in you know, a flower and it's going to open up and, we uh, receive all the lovely things, um, possible, uh, in knowledge and discovery and, uh, I think you must be very careful not to say these things in front of her to cast the idea into her mind because you are, will be undermining our work. I believe and myself all believe that your child will be capable of doing everything in this program and getting very good results. And our standard is um, about eighty percent about average, getting very nice um, uh, successes when uh, the children move on into senior schools if they're passing passing in and so on. So, please don't say, oh, um, well, I guess, and my child bound to have the same blockage. can't wear the, the word blockage. There's such a thing as a blockage, and, um, because really it's an insult uh, to the child's impact. Uh, where and how it is possible, I think, as I've been saying about the stock, being trained to be patient with children, Um, if we could all take a look at ourselves, um, we parents, in our home life, I think we also can learn to be a little bit more patient if we um, become conscious of that, making an actual effort. Again, it's so much easier if I give you an example. A family with two children, Susan aged five, Tessa aged three and a half. Um, Susan coming to school, after she'd been here for a few weeks, her mother arrived one evening and said, are you finding Susan extremely difficult? Are you finding her uh, irritating, problem? said no, not at all. That's delightful. She's obviously very intelligent and she settled down very nicely. None at all. Why, well, what's the matter? So, well, at home, uh, my husband comes home about five o'clock. As soon as he comes home, Susan's falling all over him and the little girl, Tessa, uh, she can't get him, get to her daddy's lap and Susan wants to be in the front and pushing herself all the time. And so there's a real, um, wobbling scene goes on and my husband's very bored with it and he's tired and he doesn't want it. So in the end, we have to send Susan up to her bedroom. Um what do you think is the matter? And I said quite well, honestly, quite quite simple. Just stop and have a think. Susan has been in the world that Susan should be, in a sense, more tired than your husband, who should be able to conserve his fatigue, just for that short time, but Susan is bursting with desire, just bursting with desire to tell Daddy everything that just happened to her in her exciting little life. And then she would be satisfied to get it on. But you are thrusting her on one side because you're still, you're putting yourself, in, or husband is putting himself before the child. And if it could just work, it can be a little patient, everybody will be happy. Thank you very much for saying I'm happy to tell you all that it Bliss came into the heart there. Now you look to what I'm sure in your mind and in ours, not only in the teaching world, but uh, in the world generally' this very serious problem of distance um, that discipline, Yet, uh, discipline seems to have disappeared um, in schools, and the foundation is just not there and we are getting into this desperate situation in all countries of um, crime they about uh, bullying in all its various is uh, the stages and uh, names of this problem. It, to my mind, it all stems from the early days. If a child in school um, is beginning to be um, uh restless wandering around, uh, looking at the loose end, it will begin to disturb others, uh, be an irritation, so immediately, you can do something about that child, you can get dropped by it, uh, into some instance and then that's off. Well, you build this up on a multiplication of what I've just said, and, uh, if children are thoroughly involved and busy, and the best is being drawn out of them, and the best is being given to them for their mind, um, I don't think we would be in half the trouble we are today. I often feel that I shouldn't be in my own, um, school here, that I should be in a big school in the east end of London, in the problem school, uh, somewhere where they've already had trouble, and I would very much like to have that challenge, where I could control, um a group of, uh, miserably unhappy people through their, through the problem, um and, and help them. It's simply be because I've had so much experience, um, in handling different, uh, different ages and stages of young people, uh, right up to their, um, school leaving, that I feel that, uh, when some of these schools are having very a very exciting experience, if the teacher in charge is young, uh, maybe it's her first post, and it's all too much. So it comes back to the thing that we must do something about preventing these children in their junior school, their foundation, build a house on a rock foundation. Um also I think uh, I haven't touched on this but I'm going to bring it into the second stage of the, of this uh, talk with you is um, the point of religion. Uh these people have nothing nothing to hold on to uh so many of these young people and whereas in this Where I'm standing now in my main classroom, uh, from where I'm talking to you, um, the children know that God, these young children, God is here in this room with us. We are never alone, wherever we are in the world, God is with us. And this um, gives them a tremendous, from young age, 4345, it starts to give them what I'm sure every one of you in the hall listening to me knows exactly what I mean. give them something that the other poor sad uh boys and girls who are in all these troubles uh haven't got that again our duty to teach pass on to the word the word of God should be um, amongst our daily discussions, which I shall be coming to. Also, I feel that these who had this opportunity to get a good foundation in the right and wrong ways to go about. Right? Some said they started probably with boredom. Even people with a bad background can be saved, a problem background, father they'd uh, be in prison, their mother may just disappeared. these children can still be given, if, if they're given the same chance of um, a school with this sort of attitude to them, they would still be all right. Uh, and this comes, of course, from the fact that the teachers have got to have college. You see, I'm not afraid at all. Uh, I do go and see, um, very serious, uh, presentations. Uh, this is part of my book. I might mean, say my hobby is one of the various things that you can call it stuff, but I mean, it's my spare time thing. I'm not afraid to go into that. Um, this, uh, I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of any situation. This is because uh, God is with me. He is my friend. He is my friend. And uh, if you are not afraid of standing up and facing a, a, a group of um it's it like with an animal. We are very aware. Um, animals are, uh, have an extra instinct about. Um, you and he doesn't, and I believe that young people are the same. That if you communicate and make them feel at ease, once you've made that communication, uh, uh, everything can go forward from there. One of the uh, subjects we openly discuss in assembly time uh, together, quite often, as it arises uh, usually after pay time period, uh, is jealousy. Of all the deadly sins, perhaps jealousy ought to have a classification heading of its own, because it has so many uh, offspring, and we have discovered, talking all together, that um, it's the thing that affects so many of our activities. Uh, playing games, playing ball oh she's got a bigger ball than I have or she's had more turns than I have or um, skipping he's um, had more goes with the rope than I have and, uh, and so on and so on these little petty, niggly distressing things and we keep discussing this point of uh, let us try and put aside oh that arise over more jealousies when we think of when uh, we look around the world and see the terrible troubles that the world is in and it, uh, sometimes these jealousies lead to wars, they certainly lead to unhappy marriages, uh, unhappy family lives and um, so on. So let us try all the time to um, put it out of our daily life. And I think uh, it's interesting to what the who do try and uh, they definitely get a different expression on their face after a time. They lose that um disgruntled look, almost as if life had something to uh, against them and It's lovely to see when they look um at peace, their faces relax, and they find confidence because they uh, are aware that the friends around them are all um in a nice sort of atmosphere, feeling and to make everything as pleasant as possible, rather than as uh, nigglery and unpleasant. I will now start on part two of this talk, and we'll discuss with you, in general, the programs that are arranged by the Director of Studies at PNU headquarters in London, and sent to all PNU heads of schools. This program covers the educational year, three terms, and is provided for all children from the age of five to school leaving, which is 18 years old. As this school, where I'm talking, um, only covers the junior half from five to 13, the subjects I will be discussing will only be applicable to them. We are very grateful for this program because it saves myself and the staff a lot of um work extra work in finding choosing selecting making decisions on what are the best books for these children, and therefore this group who work at headquarters are doing a very valuable job because we get the um all the books um Presented here on the program, even the chapters that we should cover each term. And, uh, at the end of term, we will do our examinations on those chapters. And also, um, a very, uh, important thing goes on in that they we'll put together nice things like the, uh, history that's selected for that term. We'll also have the English set literature book will be in the same period, so that your history, your studying, you'll be able to visualize um, some the way the people live, and a nice uh, stall running that same uh, chapter. Now, I'll give you a list of uh, the subjects rather quickly, and then I'll break it up and talk about each of them in turn, as to how we present them to the children. This, uh, this is every week we will be repeating these subjects. daily we do religious knowledge, alternately New Testament and Old Testament. Then we have repetition in Bible when children learn some of the shorter Psalms off by heart. English grammar, English literature will cover um, classical literature as in your country, something like Tom Sawyer and um a very wide range of books children will also have library books in their desks Uh, again we can select it from this program leisure reading we call it or there's plenty to choose from then there's creative writing which means your own uh, composed your own composition poetry that they read as well as writing your own Essays on factual matters, such as history, geography, Bible, science, essays. Um, here, uh, they read a play per term. I shall get into that in more detail later on. As it's a special feature of this school. And then there's British history and classical history, which covers uh, teaches them something of the early civilizations of uh, um, uh, Ur, Egypt, uh, Crete, Greece, Roman civilization they cover during the years they're here. Uh citizenship teaches them something, uh it gives them a covering of uh, how their affairs of this country are carried out, how parliament proceeds and um, what goes on in urban and rural councils, um, the social services such as education departments and hospitals and so on. Then there's another, then I subject called the benefactors of the world and the great leaders. Uh, we do elementary science and elementary experiments, biology, nature notes, which are done uh, by going for walks or for the children bringing in nature notes that they observe uh, on their uh, own walks in their spare time or at weekends. Languages we do and Latin, mathematics, using the metric system which we've been using for some years now, and um picture study and a lot of illustrative work for the young ones which is used in the terms of an essay, which I will again enlarge upon later, Crafts of all kinds, needlework, um, uh, imaginative craft, collages using all sorts of different mediums in their class. Singing, sport, uh, drawing, thing, and music. And I think that uh, is just about the sum total of our general subject. At the uh, two terms in the year, we write exams. And the children in the senior half of the school, which I'm going to extend to you here, I regard the senior half as the 9 to 13 and the junior half, five to eight. The senior half will write at the end of term, in the two terms in the year when they do exams, 15 scripts, and the six to eight will narrate uh, to an invigilator uh, who will write down all their answers. Um, they will narrate nine scripts. The little children, the five to sixes, don't have anything to do with that because they're thus beginning their narration. Now, this narration is, I think, the most um, unusual and the most effective part of Charlotte Mason's theories in uh, how to um, teach children and get answers back in a way that really gives them the gift of the language. She believed, and it really does work, that when a child is giving full attention to uh, the lesson being explained, let's say a history story, and it is read through once, once only, and if that child has been sitting without fidgeting and giving all its mind to the lesson, then it will be able to stand up either immediately after this lesson, when they're very young and older in the class, they will either carry it back the next day, or write it as a short essay in their own words in their own words they will make it quite clear to you that they have understood and it's charming to hear them express it in their own way this means that by the time they're about nine they write an essay with ease they're used to putting what they've heard into their own simple way or more complicated way, but at least it's an individual expression of what they have learned. The young ones of five to six have another means of narration through their illustration. Let me give you an example. If the teacher's been teaching about a country, let's say like um the country in Africa, um Somewhere like um, Kenya, and if it rains a lot, and the, she has said that the roofs are slanting because of heavy rain, um, and the child then draws a picture of all the people and the things she's mentioned and draws it with a flat roof. Uh, then she'll say, oh darling, you didn't listen, didn't you hear me say, don't And these little details come out in their drawing, and the drawings are used instead of an essay, not just as a pretty picture, of course they're enchanting to look at, but they are not, uh, the third purpose is not just to have fun drawing a pretty picture, but to get the facts right. The teacher will discuss them when she looks at them, saying, fix them off as that. Yes, that's right. You've got the right kind of dress on that person. or that person uh, in the field, picking the right thing, and so on and so on. So this is very helpful. Also, I think these children, in standing up uh, in class and narrating back what they have just heard, teaches them to face people, they overcome their shyness, uh, which they do quite soon after they've arrived. Um, They're looking at 35 people in my classroom now, and um, it's remarkable. They speak fairly and know that they will not be laughed at. One of the rules of this school is to encourage each other, and it is absolutely forbidden to laugh at another child's efforts. We laugh together when things are funny, but we don't laugh at somebody, so, so we shouldn't feel at all embarrassed or overwhelmed with lack of confidence. Uh, the teacher's work is there's such a variety of subjects, and variety of children that every single person is different. Uh, it's very rewarding, coming back to this thing, of looking at the children's faces. Uh, you can see a puckered bra, you can say, what's troubling you, or you can watch them making an effort, and there is a little bit of a puppet bar, and you will observe that after another lesson on that subject a week later, child is going at it with quite a different expression on his face. I expect you've already uh, noticed how much I talk about the expression of the face, but of course what the mind is thinking shows on the face a great deal. The other thing is that we have this problem with the easier form of um gaining knowledge through the um film, through the television mostly. And all the wonderful medium done and done so much for all of us, um, being able to see places we could never have otherwise had an idea about. Uh, I have found that amongst some children um, they tend to look at a beautiful book, uh, a book when uh, a book of uh, discovering knowledge for themselves, and they tend to do what they do at looking at the television. The photo is uh, passing in front of them and then gone. And they will turn over the pages of the book like that, flicking over the pages. You can get marvelous bits off of that. and Then flick over the next page, and not. Having really even read the caption, just had uh, these quick glances. and in order to help their sort of children, I don't want to lose them to lose their enthusiasm for finding out their own research work. So I now very recently um started something new that's to let them uh, once a week, twice a week or have as a library book in their desk these fabulous uh, books that you can get is a wonderful new series, Time and Night, has just produced on geography, um, and science, explorer, and flora, and fauna of the world. These are all in the classroom, just as they're leaving the publishers. And th- these children who, um have been slower over writing their work down, but have been full of what is going on in the television, and become lazy really, to make if to write or even to read the caption. I now make them try to read stand up uh, during the afternoon time when we're doing letter work of the so called three rs uh, math and those subjects, um and stand up and give a lecture on what they have discovered in their own research uh book in their and uh this, of course, has made them forced to read the captions and find out what is really happening in that in that picture they're looking at, and it's lovely because I sit back and we've got a little aware of teachers popping up and down um and it's very refreshing, and I feel that we've got ever another stumbling block like that, of course, once the memory uh you your memory will be very good on things. Provided you have fairly understood what you've been taught, and if you have no um, dark patches or no, no um, you will retain what you have just heard, and that is proved because you can come a term or two later, a year or two later, five years later, children are doing their. Leaving exam from here to enter other schools and it will be based on what they've learned over the six years they've been here. Um and it's remarkably good what they retain. The next thing I would like to talk with you is their own um attitude to helping each other in school. They don't actually get up and go and help each other. But they do try very hard not to disturb each other. On occasions, you'll hear somebody in class say, because someone else is fidgeting, fidgeting with their pencil, or making an unnecessary, inconsiderate noise. And you may find you get a group of noisy boys who come into your class and from the other class, and they haven't been behaving quite considerately. They're very soon catch-on, that it's much better be able to get on and then we'll be able to out to play and in again and settle down and get on with all their things. All teachers prefer it. Children prefer to have um peace, normal peace, um, while they're working. I have had children uh, come to the school and on asking the parents why have you left your last school they said simply because my my children say to us, yeah, we can't work, we can't we can't hear what the teacher's saying. We can't Concentrate. please take us somewhere where we can get on. So I'm happy that uh, in this way we have created an atmosphere to the child and the child at themselves. They are creating the atmosphere. Not, but then are going to things that it's quiet all the time. We have most tremendous responses and outbursts of enthusiasm during oral, verbal lessons. It's absolutely bursting to narrate or give God answers and one has to be very quickly uh, fair with it all. And I, they again understand that I will probably choose, first of all, for instance, in the letter answer after, after Bible story, I probably choose from the younger ones, younger ones in the class or the most shy. And the others will just have to wait for them, however eager they are to, to tell me. There's to encourage, encourage those who a little slow to come forward. Mm. They understand it. They don't feel that uh, I'm being unfair in not letting them have the first go. Those who can get on don't need that same chance quite so often. Uh, so again, we come to this thing, we are always trying to help those who lag a little bit behind for reasons, various reasons, and get them up to the standards of the other. We are holding the others back, because it's plenty for them to get on with. You see, we don't work in... Um, all doing the same thing at the same time. I must be teaching up 17 different sorts of math um, because each will be at a different term or perhaps there two or three at the same stage and so on. So you break it up. You may is a screaming or that you're worse than somebody else. You may have been away ill with an evil. You may have missed a period like that. You may have come in without some basic good rule. You may have to perhaps take a a different book, but nobody is aware that uh, you are uh, not as good as them. They have come to the point of how we um, correct our work and how we mark the work. We have no mark. We don't say that out of 10 times we've got nine right out of 10. And we don't know what each of us uh, is doing in fact that we haven't got a list up are in the uh, classroom, saying you're top of the class and you're bottom of the class. No. Here, nobody is top of the class and nobody is the bottom. We have remarks which are uh, above average is excellent and very good. Average is good and then we have and fairly good below average, poor and uh, that's the lowest. But we don't think of it in the lowest and not be able get poor. The attitude is that they know that I believe that each one of them is doing their very best all the time. Each one is wanting to present their best. I know that may sound here you just an ideal, but I can honestly tell you it is an actual fact. These children always are doing their best. They may do be better than their best sometimes, but they are not just, um, just going through the motions. They're very keen. And in the, every evening I correct, uh, an in-basket of about 50 books. I don't leave it hanging over, uh, two or three days to suit day myself. I very seldom have finished my work before 10 or 11 at night. And I'm very happy in the morning, uh, I've left the, Books on their desks return, and in the morning, when they come into school, they rush to their desks, open, to see what they've got, to see how they've got on, what the mark have you got, so on. I have, um, given them a little mark, an extra mark called a star. When I feel that they've made progress, it's more important to have got right there, when you got five right yesterday, that's progress. You have done better for yourself. You've made the effort, and that must be appreciated. Not necessarily because you got everything right. I see you are making an effort to get over your sort of perhaps you've had a difficult stage with the subject, then this is worthy of reward. And the reward is that little merit that I scribble on the page there, a little star shape. That means I'm well and truly pleased with your progress. You've made the effort. I also give for, uh, creation. Uh, sometimes I see some kind from somebody, um, or somebody's taking, putting the trouble to help tidy up at the schoolroom before leaving. Little things that happen to all fit in to the whole aspect of the child's mind. And these are sharing this way. going to share with you, uh, the way we teach some of the subjects I've mentioned. Let me start first with religious knowledge. We, um, at the age of five to six, these children are given stories from the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. At six or upwards, they get the uh, Bible read aloud to them direct from the Bible. And in this way, they learn... They hear the music, the beautiful music of the language of the Bible, and when they are retelling these uh, stories in their own words, they very quickly fall into the habit of using "zai," za, thee, and uh, these words, um, these gentle words in the Bible. The children are extraordinary in when I'm uh, about to start the Bible lesson; they create an atmosphere of their own. Very quickly, they settle down and become very hushed and listen more profoundly, perhaps, than during other lessons. I am personally very moved when reading aloud the, the Old Testament and the life of our Lord, and there's such love for this too by the children to sit there very quietly, that they, as I say, they seem to have created an atmosphere which is infectious to newcomers, almost as if to say, now, I'm going to listen to the work and life of a great friend or great friends. They are dead now, but I can never get tired of hearing about them. As for example, in the stories of uh, the New Testament, the work of Jesus Christ. They may have heard the parable of the five loaves and two fishes, or the parable of the sower, each year since they were six. And perhaps they feel when, in fact I know, that when they're hearing these again, um, when they're perhaps eleven, they are still learning something each time they hear it. Every year they will hear it again, of the Bible, different parts of the Bible, some that they've heard before. They each of them hears it afresh, as if to say, now I can learn something more from this every time I hear it. And then they, of course, have the opportunity to stand up and discuss what um, impact it has upon them, what meaning it has for them, personally. After English grammar, Miss Mason had observed that few children took pleasure in this subject. And so she took pains to write a little booklet on the guide to teaching English grammar to young children. And um, in addition, we use the most marvelous books written by the great authority, Riddart. They're called Better English. The children adore them. For example, here is one exercise in the book one, the six-year-old. Um, they have to fill in the missing noun or the missing uh, word, which they learn is the noun. Windows are made of. Now choose the missing word. Windows are made of rubber, paper, or glass, and they have great giggles about fancy windows being made of paper. Ha <laughs> ha! And they then choose the right word, and this is explained that the name of a thing, of an ordinary thing, is a noun. And another example. So we'll say, my father is a fat man. My father is a jolly man. The next child will say, my father is a funny man. And then we'll say, well, what are you doing to father? So we're, we're describing our father. Fine. Well, then we know that that's a describing word. And then when they are seven, they will know that that describing word is called an adjective. And then we might say that uh, now we want to talk about um, a doing word. So the six-year-olds will start off by saying, um, Father marched to work today. Father shuffled to work today. Father ran to work today. Well, what is he doing? Well, he shuffled or he marched or he ran. Well, there's a doing word. Well, so then, again, a year later and onwards, they will know that that doing word has a special name in English grammar. It's called a uh, verb. And in this way, we overcome that sort of dreary thing. And the books are quite delightful and it is a very popular, um, very popular uh, subject. It is the foundation of, um, their study for foreign languages. I have a young friend who's just uh, got her first teaching appointment in a very well-known large school in England. And at the end of her term, she came feeling most, um, most dejected. What's the matter? I said to her. She was I'm finding it's impossible to teach them Latin, French, Russian, which are my subjects, because they don't know their own English grammar. So how can we get on? Now nice in literature, literature oh, what a beautiful choice these children have in the books presented for example, the age of six they hear, read aloud to them the Aesop's Fables*. each little short story in Aesop's Fables* has a meaning and they very much love it. at seven they start um, *Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress the two year course and the first year they hear about the life of Christians and the following year Christiana, his wife on their great pilgrimage to the celestial city, and they hear of these characters, they read and learn and enjoy hearing how the story unfolds, wonderful people like Mr. Faithful, Mr. Great Heart, and piety, charity, prudence, and then these others, oh my, simple, sloth, and so on. And that uh, they illustrate, I make them illustrate it um, as a scroll, like nice little drawings. Each episode that happened, you see, Christian carried, he was given a scroll, which he would have to present at the gates of heaven in the celestial city when he got there. And so I do make him do it in this way, which is just different again. So they roll up their little scroll at the end of each uh, reading, having done little drawings and little captions to them. That they enjoy, something different. And then the um, other selection during the rest of the event here, here are the early religions of the Scandinavians in the beautifully written heroes of Asgard, um, the uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, the uh, Greek, early Greek religions in Tangwood Tales, and then they can have a, a, a lovely illustration of Homer's Iliad and the following year, the Odyssey. And you can see that in the selection of these books, everybody uh, the characters in these books are fighting for good and uh, against evil for instance in the Hres of Asgard the Asia people uh, were always um, trying to uh, break down the evil of the giants in the land of Jotunheim and everything had to be lovely and was lovely in uh, in asgard and so on and this of course presents this lovely thing that they are uh, discussing all the time and making decisions and uh, coming to terms with all through all these examples of um, moral judgment and uh, being effective about following the right path and not taking the wrong enormous subject of learning to read i hope one day i shall have the time to write Um, a book on this subject because I have made it rather a special feature of this school and I say that those little people who come in at the age of five, by the time they are six, they are able to read and to spell. And of course, once they do that, it all is open to them. They can then read their math books, their English grammar books, their own little story books. They can stand up and read their own stories back to their little friends, and so on. The, uh, it's a very uh, much discussed uh, subject. There's lots, and lots of arguments amongst the education authorities in um, this country, and it's, uh, the country realised that there is something wrong in the teaching of reading. But well, so let me say that I do hope that through what I'm able to share with you, perhaps there are teachers in the audience who, um, who may be able to be helped by the way we go about it. I can only just touch on the subject, because as you can see, it's such a very large one. We teach, from the beginning, the both um, aspects, both ways. We teach phonetically and picture words. The first word that a child wants to be able to read is mother. Now, mother, you can't break up phonetically. It breaks down the rules. And so you learn that by constantly seeing um, this word written up or or before you, or we have what they call flashcards, big big cards with um, mother is here or mother hen and her chicks or um, mother and father are something or another. And this way, by constantly seeing these words, yeah, they have a storybook, and in that storybook, the lovely pictures, a lot of these, what I call the picture words, are there. And they will recognize them, just like you recognize a photo of your grandmother, or something like that. Now, the phonetic is, must be balanced with the picture words. Every day, they must, first of all, they start off to learn their alphabet phonetically. That is to say, the name of the first letter is A, but the sound is a. I say the name of a creature running around an animal is dog, but its sound is bow-wow. Um, or like the name of, the name is cat, and the sound is meow. So the name is A, and the sound is A. And the name is B, and its sound is B. Now, we have heard a great deal discussed about this, a rather new name in medical history, dyslexia. Now, I am very interested in this because I have found, with my experience, that the cases of dyslexia, and when I say people who have been um, announced as dyslexic by specialists uh, in London, will um, be sent to me uh, these children, yeah, because the mother or father can't accept that because they have been told they're dyslexic, You have for the rest of their lives, they will be unable to write down um, or write letters or write essays or write past exams because they can't write it. And certainly many of the cases that for me and and I've fortunately been able to help them is that I've discovered that they don't understand or have never been taught the vowel sounds. The clearest example I can give you is one child. she was 13. It's never child. She couldn't wait. she could tell her teachers anything. She wasn't at the school. She was brought to me at 13, having been declared dyslexic at eight. And I discovered in the first 20 minutes, uh, I got her to write down just, just some little sentence. And I saw, of course, even the very down it, she was writing a, a word like this, um, dirt. And she wrote D and then T. And so I well I think straight away. You're, you you do know, when uh, you've heard it just phonetically that D is the and T is T. Well now if you say the phonetic if you say the alphabet incorrectly phonetically, you are going to say a d, and so on a, t, and m will be m. Now we don't say m other, we say Mother, we don't say k- at we say cat, and so on. And I then teach the first, having said your a-b-b-b, not s, not sir. And I make them, when we come to something like, sort of almost feel as they're going to speak. Anything to make them laugh about it and be interested and capture the imagination we have, and not sir for s and so on. Now, in this way, they're able to group together, and you must make the first two sounds be said um, at once. In other words, with the first grouping that we put, we put into family groups. Mac, cat, cat, and we go over like that, and then we say, fat, and I put my hand over that. I have great speech, speech all, all around the schoolroom, like Chinese flags, and I put my hand over painted in bright colors these letters off, and fat, and mac, and cat will be painted in red, and the last letter will be a lovely T. Now that T. t. That will be at the end, so they will have cat followed by T. Now you say cat, now I say T. You say meh, now I say meh. And so then, eventually, they will be longing when they've got this cat, meh, fat. Then they go to the next vowel sounds like moh, cock, pop. And then finally, you make up the whole word like that. And then you move on to other sounds like they know, they will recognize that O-R and A-W is O-R. And that O-U and O-W mostly is R. And that S-H is sh, And C-H is CH. And when they come to those two next door to each other, they will say them like that. So they will go ma And then they'll say H, and then they'll go, C-H. And then they'll go And then they'll say M-A-CH. They won't be going M-A-CH. M-A-CH. H-h. No. They will see these families together. And therefore, by the time they're six, they can read, not just their own little reader, but they can read, they can break up words, and they can read themselves, and they can really read. Uh, we, um trace a great deal, starting off nice capital letters, and then, uh, script writing, and at seven, they start joined up writing, and they trace a great deal, as so they have a good example, and they write every day, and then they also do rather nice pattern out of letting the wrist flow to the end of the line with lovely round patterns and then pointed patterns like you would get in the letter W and join up patterns for pretty coloring. But it really is that you get this lovely um, flow and rhythm in the writing. Girls who have a bad writing usually are, very often they're trying to hide something that they are ashamed of their spelling or they're nervous. And uh, boys that, boys and girls that are particularly uh, behind in uh, spelling and reading, um, when I've got problems, you know, like this boy coming in fairly late into the school, I notice that they've gone as far as putting one letter right on top of the other, really as though they were uh, thoroughly in a darkness about it. And so the writing is very interesting because then you can spread it out as they gain confidence and show it and present it. And presentation gets an actual remark uh, here at exams, how you present all your work. So important, the first time you, when when you write your letter for your first application for a job, the first impression is, oh, what a nicely presented letter, how important it is for your future. Mathematics is another vexed uh, question because there are so many arguments, pros and cons as to which is the right way to go about it. But again, I think that in a primary school, in the first um, 12 years of your life, you should learn general math, uh, so that you are in a position to really understand what numbers mean, and to juggle around with them very quickly. And then after that you can move into computer math and modern math, if you have got a full understanding of what is 5 squared, or um, to add on 10 very quickly grouping numbers, seven and seven, and the next door neighbor, seven and eight, one figure, add on ten, add on nine, quickly add on ten, take one away, and so on. And they be able to juggle around with these, to say they were uh, balls in a game, and again, it must be done with um, delight. And you, you have various apparatus. Not too much. I'm not very keen on them always working with you know, pieces of wood or bricks or... Not always, but I think then you stop so you use your own brain. I teach them the something that they can look at the thing and then say, Right, now let's go and see if we can do it I out And if we haven't got the first time, we'll come back and try again. Um, I don't teach with a clock, strictly saying we'll have half an hour and then stop then. I think that certain subjects, for example, a math in particular, um, by experience you know when to stop. You've got to see the explanation through to the end, not let the let you just stop because the clock says half past ten and then halfway through that explanation you've got to go to another subject or another room to teach somewhere else. there. So you must be it right uh, and then the child can immediately put that into practice, prove whether he's understood by even doing two or three of that type of thumb and then start again tomorrow. But to break it off just because the time the clock says that is a disaster. Equally so, over this thing of time, I think uh, you've got to, in reading uh, history, or you, you've got to get through to um, to the end of that episode. But when it's something like in literature, it's very important to stop just before the very next excitement. For too many excitements, spoil the taste So I close the book with voices shouting, Oh, do go on! Oh, do let's go on! Oh, let's go! Oh, no, no, don't stop! So the question of languages, it uh, depends which ones um, you're doing, but um, this might interest you that when I'm teaching English or French or Latin, there are times when I find myself standing in front of the blackboard writing the three languages down at once. It may be to de- do with an English vocabulary word. I want to uh, try and uh, give them the meaning of the word, not just say it, but explain it to them that they could see it for themselves and they can improve their own vocabulary by finding the meaning of words through French roots or Latin roots. For example, I, I was, they were see on the board suddenly we've been talking about a terrace and the child doesn't know what a terrace is, but it has learnt already, uh, la terre in French and terra in Latin or it's learnt you, evenus in Latin and that I is a J in French, jeune, and juvenile in English, and so on. There's little examples, and so they like that too. They see the sense of, they see the combination, and it interests them rather than just learning it off pat, um, like tables, their language roots. Notes are um, a great feature. The children go out for walks from school and. We all go looking, it can, from searching. It can be anything, um, anything: stones, insects, woods, uh, leaves, name it. And what we all collect, we bring back, and then we write in our, we draw, uh, space with the color of the object, using color of the object before us, and never with pencil. And then the young ones can ask uh, to. For me to make a copy of the little note called and we put it on the board and sometimes we dissect the things that we've found. But they keep a regular nature note and they have the date on it and then they keep those books year by year and they can count. They can um, look back to the previous year. Oh, the snow bedrops came out on the 1st of February last year and this year they earlier. They came out on January 27th, something like that. And they also, it's lovely because parents come to me and say, you know, since they've been here doing nature walks, our own walks at home at the weekend are such fun because we've begun looking too. I can remember once giving a mother um, a little bouquet on parents' day and saying, that's the mother who's done the best in helping us collect nature notes this, um, great bark. Mind you, sometimes you get great shocks when they bring you the slow worms or uh, something. I, I'm terrified of, of snakes, so I, I rather dread when the box is open to what's coming out but so far we've all survived over the years. What a brilliant idea of Miss Mason's, to start picture study. We have uh, each term a different famous painter. Um, this term we're doing Rembrandt, and last term we did Botticelli, and so on. And these, uh, we have uh, the Medici Gallery in London, they printed a special selection for us, so this term we are studying six about six of the most well-known paintings of that particular painter. Huh? And uh, we, we discuss it. We make copies of it. We draw it. We look at the composition. And these pictures really become great friends. Teaching history, um, I can't see how you can separate it from geography. I think that the effect of cli- uh, climate and conditions and where you live in the world has an effect upon what sort of uh, temperament, and this has an effect upon history, and people are living in a country, and people are history, and when, for example, uh, teaching seven-year-olds about the invasion of England by uh, William, Duke William of Normandy, one begins with history, and then you start to talk about the geography, how they had to cross. You see, to come to England, and so you get out the maps, and you learn some of the geography, and then you come to discussing the language they brought, that uh, the French language became the first language of the court here, and so on. Then you begin to talk about leadership and the obedience of his army, and how that gained him the Crown of England. And then I go on and um, mention how um, I get out actual photos of the Bayeux tapestry and explain that there were no book that this um, embroidered strip of linen uh, depicted the scene of the her history of the uh, invasion and uh, the whole story and it was hung up in the church at Bayeux for the people to read um, by just looking at these great pictures of the event. And then I described um, as a needlewoman I described the embroidery stitches that it wasn't Um, actual tapestry, there was a definite type of stitch used, one type of stitch used after that. And then one boy put his hand up and said, Oh, I see, one thing leads to another. And so it does. Last year, at a meeting of heads of PNU schools in London, one of the things we discussed was that a number of teachers were having difficulty in um, presenting Shakespeare to the young. And after the meeting, I wrote an article which was published in the PNEU journal called In Defense of Shakespeare. And in my article, I included an uncorrected essay written by one of my pupils in the open class, which had uh, 18 children in it, and the ages were from 9 to 12, which is when uh, this is the age we, uh, we start, and this is the group each year, 9 to 12. The essay that uh, I'm going to read to you was written by Christine Williamson, and the Williamson family came from Australia to join the large, wonderful family at Labree and have now returned to Australia, and so it's my pleasure, to share, have this nice little link with you. So here is... Christine Williamson's essay on Shakespeare. When I first started reading Shakespeare on Friday afternoon, I found it very hard to understand. I was 11 years old, and the first play was The Merchant of Venice. I found it even harder to write about it the following Monday. After I had written quite a few essays, I could understand it, and I put it into my own words better. I have read and written essays now On the Merchant of Venice, the Tempest, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing, and Twelfth Night. The way we do Shakespeare is this: on Friday afternoon for an hour, we read the play set for the term. We each have a book, and we read the speeches in turn. After we have read a few speeches, first we try and explain what the characters are talking about, and if it's too hard and we can't, Mrs. Norton explains it to us. Then we carry on reading. The next Monday morning, we write what had just happened in our own words. In this way, we write the whole play in our own words. We study a play a term, and if you stay till the end of the 12-year form, you read and write 12 plays. If you stay only until the end of um, the 11th, you have done none. During the su- summer term, we learn our rules for the play to be performed at the end of the term. The play that we act has neither been read, has either been read before or was being read at the time. We choose our costumes from our theater cupboard, but often we have to alter and adapt them by our own choice of perhaps a different ruff or jacket or color of type. We make all our own props and scenery. We act the play outside in the garden. Shakespeare has greatly increased my vocabulary. That ends the essay. Now to finish uh, with a little more of the art. Last year we all went to watch an amateur Shakespeare company perform in a the big theatre. The children's reactions were interesting. They admired the diction and the word perfection of the actors, but their criticisms were, their dresses were not the right thing. The modern hairstyles and permanent wave hair was not acceptable being out of period. Why play a modern Spanish guitar? Where was the lute? After our last summer performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream, the children wished we could find a village green suitable to repeat the performance as presented by striving players one Saturday afternoon. But where could we find a green that had no traffic dashing by to drown our words? We keep a record of each year's performance. An album of coloured photos provides us with happy memories. I hope I can inspire other teachers to give the children the heritage they deserve. And I believe that you have not that if you have not got the taste for it the children will get it if you give them the chance. I will now say goodbye to you all, having explained to you some of the philosophy of Charlotte Mason and the dedicated life of the teacher, who should never underrate her pupils' abilities, and try to remember that teaching is a sharing through patience, love, and understanding. If you have enjoyed
0: this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes.